0: Alright, turn your Bibles tonight to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, yeah, Kevin's got the idea. You might want to move up a little closer if you want to be able to see these, especially, especially while the sun's still out kind of bright. Might be a little bit hard to see, so uh, move up if you want to and uh, get in a place where you can see this pretty well. Uh, we talked about Ashkelon last week, and we talked about Gath last week, and I had planned to get to Lachish. Uh, it's a lot of times it's pronounced Lakish. We pronounce it Lakish, kind of I guess in the English pronunciation. Um, it's Lakish, and actually they have that really. It's more like Lachish if you were going to say it in Hebrew. Um, but it's everybody pronounces it like that. There's really not any other pronunciation as far as you know. I mentioned uh, last week that, that that sometimes there are different pronunciations, different spellings, and things like that depending on where you are, where you're from there in Israel. But Lakish is always pronounced the same way. So uh, that's what we'll call it, and that's probably what I'll always call it from now on when I read it in the Bible. I've heard it so many times now, but uh, very, very interesting uh, things that happened here. Uh, so this is, a, the Visitor Center was actually not open the day that we were there. I, I don't know if it, I think, I think it's actually brand new, so I don't even know if it had been opened, period, yet, but um, that's the, uh, do you remember, somebody, somebody tell me what, it, what a tell is. This is tell Lachish. Alex. Yeah, so a mound, basically a man-made mound. That's the—that's an easy way to say it. It's a man-made mound because uh, it was torn down. Uh, a city was built, and, and usually it was already on some kind of a little bit of a mound. That's that gave it a little bit of a strategic position, uh, and then that city got destroyed somehow, or or they abandoned it somehow and it fell into disrepair. They completely covered it up and then took the materials that were there and built on top of it and then covered it up and built on top of it. And so many of these tells have layers and layers of civilization underneath them. This one is a pretty obvious picture of a tell. Uh, really, you can, you can kind of tell when it's not a man-made mound, especially because m- most often it's just this mound of dirt in the middle of a, of a, middle of a field or something like that, right? Um, but this is kind of as you're approaching Lachish from the outside, Lachish was actually a Canaanite city, um, and it it was a Canaanite city that was conquered by Joshua, Um, speaking of Joshua, it's not moving anymore, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, am I reaching you, is it moving back there, nothing's happening, there we go, okay, great view of it right there as well. Um, I'll explain what you're looking at here in just a second, but let me, let's me let read this in Joshua chapter 10 and verse number 31. In Joshua, of course, this is as they're they're coming into the land. Uh, in fact, let me do this. Let me show you on this map where um, Lachish is, all right? So um, here is the Sea of Galilee, okay? This is the northern, this is Mount Hermon. This is the north half of Israel. I'll try to get in a place where everybody can see it, um, and uh, there's, there's two sides to this map. If you want to come look at it, this one doesn't really have a lot of places. This is more of a, of a topography map of like the, the mountains and the valleys and all that stuff. By the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not, but the Dead Sea is the lowest place in the world, the lowest spot in the world, uh, and the Sea of Galilee is not too far behind it as far as, as, far as being a low place. But Anyway, this is, the, this is the Sea of Galilee. Of course, the Jordan River runs all the way down into the Dead Sea. And then the Dead Sea uh, doesn't have any outlet, and that's why it's the Dead Sea. There's, no, there's, there's nothing alive in the Dead Sea. Of course, then all the way down here is the little finger. In fact, let me, let me, let me show you this map um, so you can get a, a, maybe a broader picture of what everything looks like. Okay? This is the entire land of Israel and Egypt and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Turkey and Syria. So this is, that's the entire region, all right? Uh, and that will give you a pretty good view of what everything looks like here. So Israel is basically here. Of course, all of this is Mediterranean Sea. Okay, Here's Cyprus. But all of this is, is uh, the land of Israel, and it kind of cuts off about right here and then, and then back up this way. So all the way down this edge pretty much is Jordan. All the way down here is Saudi Arabia. All the way here is Egypt. This is the Sinai Peninsula right here, which, remember, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. That was the area, part of the area where they wandered. Um here's the, here's the main Red Sea, and then you've got the two fingers that are coming off of that, and those are actually considered the Red Sea as well. But one of them, um, I forget what, the, what, what this gulf is called. Um, the Gulf of Suez, I think, is what the one on the left side is. This is the Gulf of Aquaba. Uh, if you're from the Jordan side, it's the Gulf of Eilat if you're from the Israel side. So Israel calls it Eilat. Jordan calls it Aquaba. On maps, most of the time it's labeled as Aquaba, but they both, have, they both have access to that area. But really, there's, a, there's kind of an imaginary line that's drawn right down the middle. And Israel has one half of it, and Jordan has the other half of it. But um, to give you an idea then, so, so that's, that's where you're looking at everything um, in a full picture. Now, this is, so this is the top of that little finger right here, all right? Let me pull this back up. This, this, what you're looking at on the very bottom there is the top of this finger on this side, okay? To give you a picture uh, and again, the land of Israel is really not all that big um, in, in total, but um, Lakish, okay, here's, here is, um, here's Ashkelon, this is what we talked about last week, right, here's Ashdod, that's another one of the, the uh, major cities of the Philistines, Lachish is right here, okay, and I know you can't see it, it's too small for you to see, but, but the Dead Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, it's not quite halfway, but it's about that that far all right that's what we're talking about so obviously you're, you're near the bottom the Negev okay this is the Negev this is the this is the desert area where the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and all of that stuff and of course then they crossed over the Jordan uh, the, the Jordan River into the land of Canaan and that's when they started their conquest of Canaan what was the first one that they came to and conquered Jericho right Jericho was the first one what was in the second one Ai, yeah, and then they get into all the rest of them after that. But Lachish is one of those places that they came, and, and remember, it was the land of Canaan, right? So who owns it? Or who, who? The Canaanites, right, yeah, the land of Canaan, the Canaanites. So it was a Canaanite city when Joshua and the children of Israel came up to it there. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 31, And Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him unto Lachish, and encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, which took it on the second day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein, according to all that he had done to Libna. So uh, it was within the territory that was allotted to to Judah. um, And I have another map here that has all of the tribes of Israel uh, listed on it. So this is all the land that was allotted to the tribe of Judah. And you can look at this afterwards as well. It's a pretty interesting little map. But this is, a, this is kind of a breakdown of all the different tribes and what they were given. The land of Judah had the land that, uh, and of course then the Judean wilderness. Does anybody know, uh, and we're going to look at this as well, but anybody know what's significant about the Judean wilderness in the New Testament? Jackson. Yeah, there's 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 several things. Yeah, John the Baptist was in the Judean wilderness. Jesus spent forty days and forty nights in the Judean wilderness, and then it, and then of course the temptation was right after that. Um, and I'll show you some pictures of the Judean wilderness. It's a lot more mountainous than you would think it would be. Um, but anyway, this is this is where um, uh, Joshua came, and some of these. Uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna go through these slides pretty quickly once we get to some of these because I'm gonna kind of give you some things as I'm telling you this story that are gonna be on the slides later on. But uh, Lachish actually became Israel's second largest city. It was very, very heavily fortified, uh, very strategically located. I'm going to show you some pictures off the backside, uh, not of Lachish, um, but when we get to some of these others, and you can actually see the strategic position that, that they were actually in. Um, actually, no, it is. It is, in the, it is in Lachish, and I'll show you that when we get up to the top of Lachish. But uh, you're only seeing a very, very small part of the actual city right there. Um, it actually... Because it, it gets, you get up to the top of that hill and then it goes back that way. So you really can't see it from where we're looking at. You'll be able to tell as we get farther into it. But uh, there's maybe a little bit farther back. All right, I think, I think we have a picture here in just a, a minute of, uh, of what it actually would have looked like when it was um, fully constructed and everything else. Um, and let me back up a little bit, okay? I'm gonna point this out to you and you'll have to remember it, okay? On the far right side, of that tell, you see what looks like a bunch of rocks that have fallen down, right? Okay, I'm going to pointing that out to you because it's going to be significant later, all right? I'll, I'll remind you about what that is. But this is, uh, again, this is, so, so where you see those, the, the stone wall right there that's going up, which obviously, you know, the, and, and the guide said, man, this is all brand new. This is beautiful. And it was actually very, very nice the way they did it with the pathway going up there and everything else. But that would have actually been the main entrance to the city. Um, and remember last week, I talked to you about um, some, some different uh, uh, four-chambered gates and things like that. I'm going to give you a picture of that here in just a minute. Uh, this is actually some of the old wall. Now, here's something that you'll notice, and uh, you're going to have to look really close to be able to see it. I might have zoomed in a little bit more, but you see this black line right here? See that? And it actually goes all the way up. You might not be able to see it all that well, um, but they do this in almost every place. They put a black line there to show you where they started building a reconstruction. Everything below that black line is original. Everything above it would have been rebuilt with stones that they found there. It's not like they're making stones or going and getting them somewhere else. But you can actually kind of see the difference in the construction in in that wall. And really the difference is, that was all reconstructed later on so you could get a better picture of what it actually looked like. But then, so you know what's original and what's not, they put a little black line right there, and kind of like a tar line or something like that. That's actually what the uh, what the city would have looked like. And you can imagine, imagine coming up to that city. Not only do you have archers and everybody else with uh, stones, you know, they, they slinging stones and, and shooting arrows, but they would have boiling hot um, uh, olive oil that they would dump over the edge as people were coming. I mean, it was. It, I mean, for you to actually take over a city. That's why so many times they actually would lay siege to a city and try to starve the people out or, you know, do other things because it was, I mean, you, lost, you would lose a lot of men uh, going up to a city like that. So, um, uh, Lachish, Lachish was a Canaanite city that was conquered by Joshua. That is a picture of Sennacherib, which he'll be significant in just a minute. Uh, there you go. There's, a, there's where it's at in relation to the Dead Sea and Gaza and everything else. I pointed it out to you there on the map a heavily fortified strategic location, uh, and it was actually located on that major road that went from uh, Mesopotamia to Egypt, and so that's, that's another reason why it was such a, uh, so uh, there's, there's a couple things about every tell that you'll find out. They were always located next to a source of water. They were always located in a strategic position, and what's the third one? Oh, come on, you should know it. I can't remember. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, there, there was always, there, there was three things, and I can't remember the third one, it'll come to me, but, but that was two of the main things. They were always located in a strategic position because, number one, they wanted to be in a place where they could charge some kind of money to allow people to pass through, but also they wanted to be in a position where they could easily defend themselves. So many times, these tells are up in a place where you can see for miles in every direction. And of course, you know, there wasn't really a chance of a missile coming through the air, and the, 700s BC, right? So you would be able to see a cloud of dust coming if there was an army or chariots or something like that. And, and obviously, you have guys that are up on those walls that are looking for that and would give them plenty of time to be prepared for, for an enemy that's coming. Um, that's what the mile of Lachish with the administrative palace in the background. And that city actually had a double wall, uh, again, for the same reason, protection um, mostly but uh, you had to get over the first wall and if you got over the first wall then you had to deal with everybody that was on the second wall too so very very heavily fortified and um, that's, that's the, that's the uh, reconstructive drawing so the path that I pointed out to you is actually the path that you see that goes up to that main gate which I'm gonna show you in just a minute but you can actually see how big the city itself really was it was not a small city at all and uh, again I'll show you you can see the palace in the background Pay attention to that, because I'm going to show you where the palace, uh, where the palace ruins are today, um, but you can actually see how big that palace is. And so from the time of Solomon, the Jews built roads that led to the gate, so that it would give them further protection. Really, if an enemy was going to try to get in through the gate, now they had to come up that road, and it funneled them into a tiny, narrow little place, and it gave the, it gave the, the, you know, the, the people in the city even a more strategic, uh, advantage. Not only, you know, so, so they're either going to have to try to come up the sides of it, which is almost impossible. I mean, even if you were able to make it to the top of the, the dirt area, now you've got to try to scale straight up walls while you're being shot at and, and hot oil dumped on you, right? So, I mean, it was not, it, it, I mean, it, these were very well fortified places. So they had to get, they had to get creative on how they, how they attacked these things. And, of course, that's what we're going to see in just a minute. But the enemy would be under fire from the walls during the entire advance toward the gates. Um, Israel was a military nation. They, they had their, their mighty men. They understood fortifications and fighting and all of this stuff. You see that under Joshua especially. Um, they would have seen how, how well fortified the Canaanite cities were, right? They would, have, they would have known what they fought against. They would have known, ah, that's a weakness. We don't want to do that. Oh, that was good. We want to make sure we do that. So, um, and not to mention that they're taking these cities that are already pretty well fortified. So even if some of the wall gets broken down, all they have to do is rebuild a little section of the wall, and now they have it. And obviously, they had God on their side as well. But no matter how valiant and well-trained, if God was against them, they were defeated. And that happened many, many times. That happened in Lachish, and that's what we're going to talk about. So, Micah. In fact, Micah chapter 1 and verse number 13 says, O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. Well, who is, she ta- who is he talking about? Found in Who? Lachish, right? The sins of Israel were found in Lachish. And so uh, he said that Lachish was where the transgressions of Israel were found. And, of course, he's referring to the idolatry in Israel. How many times do we see in the New Testament that God told them, stay away from the Canaanite gods, stay away from intermingling and everything else? And they always went after Baal and after uh, Ashdod and all these other gods, right? And how many times did God have to punish them for going after these other gods? But that's exactly what happened here. Um, (coughs) Oh, there's there's Michael 1.13. But you see the city there as well. Now, Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. He led a campaign into Judah in 701 B.C. All right? Now, uh, Sennacherib, this is 2 Chronicles 31, king of Assyria came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. Now, again, this is pretty significant. Because a lot of people try to discount the fact that there really was an Israel or that they were a a force to be reckoned with or that they were some some kind of prize. But Sennacherib, who was one of the greatest kings in that era, wanted Israel for himself. Uh, And again, for a lot of reasons. And as we get up into Jerusalem and Galilee area and all that stuff, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But to put it in perspective, Hezekiah was the king during that time. Hezekiah was in his 14th year as the king. Hezekiah was a pretty good king. He had a few things that he did that were, that, that were serious mistakes. Um, but the siege of Lachish is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 14 through 17. In fact, here's what I'd like you to do. Turn over to 2 Chronicles 32, because that's, that's also where it's mentioned. And uh, I want to read a little bit of that passage, actually. Um, but uh, uh, Sennacherib was, a, was the king of Assyria. Let me see if I can show it to you on the map here. Uh, This is not really, an. it doesn't have the old, uh, uh, it's not labeled on here, at least that I can see anyway. But all the land that that Israel had taken over, and I should have looked at it ahead of time, uh, but all the land that Israel had taken over and uh, had conquered from the Canaanites and from the Assyrians and the Jebusites and the Hittites and all of those that God mentioned over and over and over again, well, now they're starting to want some of their land back. And this is, you know, generations later, but Second Chronicles 32 and verse number 1, after these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. Now this is interesting because again, archaeology is backing up the Bible. There's not a question that Sennacherib was a king who lived and had great might. And his name, his, his name is right there in the Bible, and it says that he wanted to come and take the Israelite cities for himself. Well, we're gonna read a little bit more of, of that passage in a minute, but in fact, let's read it right now. Verse number two. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, now, okay, here's, let me, let me, let me show you this so you can see, okay? Uh, Lachish is here, okay? Here's Lachish, Jerusalem is here. So you're not talking... You're really talking about probably 15 or 20 miles, which for an army is nothing, right? I mean, they can march 15 or 20 miles in, in, you know, maybe the better part of a day, less even, as an army marching. If they were on a mission, they could get there in half a day if they had to. So um, he saw, and he realized that Sennacherib was getting ready to come up and fight against Jerusalem. He took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains, which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Also he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken. And by the way, we're going to look at some of this stuff a little bit later when we get to Jerusalem. Um, And raised it up to the towers and another wall without, and repaired Milo in the city of David, and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying... Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. After this did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, send his servants to Jerusalem, but he himself laid siege against Lachish and all his power with him. Unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, and unto all Judah that were at Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Whereon do you trust that ye abide in the siege in Jerusalem? This, this is right here. This is exactly where we're talking about. And so he laid siege against Lachish, 14th year. I went, I went the wrong way. The hill that Lachish was situated on, this is actually, I told you that this is from uh, Brother David Cloud, uh, Dr. David Cloud's uh, thing. So some of his are mixed in here a little bit. Um, So, to avoid a direct assault on the city gate, of course, for the reasons that we just talked about, there was not much of an opportunity to actually directly assault the city gate, the Assyrians built a siege ramp up the southwest corner of the hill to attack the walls at a weaker point. Now, that was something that was really not heard of at that point. But you remember that picture that I showed you? That was where the siege ramp was. And literally, what they did is they just went and got all kinds of dirt and stone and anything they could find, and they laid it next to... The city, So they could walk right up the walls, right up that siege ramp that they made and walk right over the walls. Well, what are they going to do? There's nothing that the, that the Israelites can do at that point, right? So, uh, and not to mention, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but they had, they, there was a lot of men. There was a, they, had, they had all kinds of uh, military instruments when it comes to uh, shields to protect them, and that's what they did. <clears throat> the shields were there protecting them from anything that they threw at them from the city as they were building this siege ramp. And then they, had, they, they shot back, they had arrows and, and uh, slings and everything else. So from the Assyrian side, the siege of Lachish is described in a series of bas-reliefs um, found in Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh. Now, that's where, that's where Sennacherib came from. The Assyrians, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a little bit too, because we actually went to the city that uh, uh, Jonah fled to, Joppa, and uh, you start to hear some of the things about the Assyrians. They were ruthless Evil people, and uh, no wonder Jonah ran the other direction. But Nineveh um, was where Sennacherib's palace was at, and it was so significant to him what he did there at Lachish that he actually lined the entire inside of one of his rooms in his palace with bas-reliefs. All right, and let me see. That's that's actually how big it is. Now that's that's actually in the British Museum. They have a Lachish room in the British Museum. Um, but in the Israel Museum where we went, and I'll show you some pictures of these as we get closer. There's going to be a couple of them on here. Um, but uh, they've actually remade re- it, reconstructed it, if you will, and uh, put portions of that in the Israel Museum, which we were able to see. They found the actual ones and put them in the, uh, the British Museum where you can see. And, and again, these bas-reliefs depict in great detail everything that happened at Lachish and it lines up exactly with the Bible's account. Um, or, or, uh, so there, there's an artist rendering. Now, that's, that's wrong because that actually shows them and makes it look like they're going in through the front gate. They didn't actually put it there. You can see uh, exactly where, where it was at. Um, but here's, here's part of the bas-reliefs, all right? And so um, it's just this big, long picture. It's, it's almost like... Uh, uh, it's almost like if you were to take a movie and take every scene from the movie and make a picture out of it. That's essentially what they were doing. But you can see then the Assyrians attacked with slings. They attacked with arrows. They uh, they pushed five battering engines up the siege ramp to destroy the walls. Uh, and it's kind of hard to see. I'll, I'll try to give you a second to look at these. I want to I want to keep moving, but uh, it really really interesting things. I mean, and 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 num- number one, the artistry for them to be able to depict exactly what's happening here. And you can see it. That's a little bit closer view of it. Um, but you can see, so here's the, here's the battering ram. Uh, and that's what they use to, to get up into it. Um, let's see. Yeah, the city wall and the defenders are on the top. OK, there's, there's a little bit of labeling on here. But the Assyrian archers are here, the captives, the battering engines are here. And you can see there's a guy in that battering engine with an arrow that he's getting ready to shoot up there. Of course, the long spear that's hanging off the front, that's what they would have used to just knock the walls down. And they're completely protected in there. So it worked really well. But there's the, there's the crew with the battering rams. Uh, four soldiers, an archer and a shield holder, an operator for the ram's battering arm. A man to douse the tank with water to extinguish the fire bombs that were being thrown from the wall. I mean, they, had, they were prepared. They had everything that they needed. Um, there's a little bit closer picture of that. The Jewish prisoners, uh, so here's some of the things that they did. The Jewish prisoners were impaled, and you can see them hanging on the top of the spears, right? That's what I'm saying. The Assyrians were not nice people. In fact, here's some other ones. They, they were flayed alive. I mean, they literally cut them and peeled their skin off while they were, while they were still alive, the same way that you would you gut a deer or something, right? Um, their heads were cut off. In fact, they actually have a, a pile of heads. A lot of the Jews' heads were... Heaped in piles, and that little thing that you see down there is a pile of Jewish heads that were all cut off during, the, during this battle. And all of these things were being depicted on the wall. Think he wasn't proud of what he did? <laughs> he was proud of it. And then the survivors were, were driven away as slaves, and their goods were confiscated. In fact, I'm going to tell you about Masada. I'm not going to do it tonight, but Masada is another one where they knew the reputation, and they were so set on not being captured, um, and we'll talk about that. But, but they were not nice to the survivors. Um, Isaiah 3, 16 through 26, Thy men shall fall by the the sword, and thy mighty in war, and her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. Talking about Lachish. Surviving Jewish leaders were brought before Sennacherib as he sat on his throne, and of course they were were leaders, so they were made to bow before him and uh, and all these other things. And again, all these are part of those bas-reliefs that are located there, but the panel is inscribed with the words, Sennacherib, king of the world, king of Assyria, sat upon a throne and the captives of Lachish passed before him. That's what it says on the, on the bas-reliefs there underneath those pictures. Amazing. They were made to bow before their captors. Now I think this is also pretty interesting too. Notice their appearance. They had short hair. Of course, they wore robes, but they had sh- uh, you know beards and short hair. Um, here's a little bit closer picture of it. Of course, uh, those are the leaders being carried away and, and you see this guy in the front being made to bow before Sennacherib. There's some. Copies of the best reliefs. That's, that's actually some of the ones from the Israel Museum. Those are just copies of, of what they have in the in the British Museum. That's the actual real thing. But. So there's the sea ramp. There's the city gate. Uh, lots of excavations have been done in Lachish since the 1930s, and they found all kinds of things there. Um, and, and really, just everything that they see uh, perfectly lines up with the Bible account and with Sennacherib's account, so they know that this is the place, and that's the remnant of the front gate that's left. Um, there, is the, there is the siege ramp. Okay, Now, this is, this is zoomed in a little bit of the picture that I showed you before, but that's the actual siege ramp. They walked right up the side of that thing and uh, right over the walls. And, of course, they used the battering rams and everything else. Now, this is standing up there at the top. That's what the siege ramp looked like from, from above. Um, I'm going to point this out to you in just a second, and it will actually be a slide where you can see it. But, but you go all the way down the hill, and then you start to go back up the hill, and actually now it's a, um, it's a cow farm. They, they uh, milked cows and everything else there, but that's actually where Sennacherib had uh, stationed himself during the siege, so he could watch everything that was happening far enough away that he was away from the danger, but he could still see everything going on. That's another picture of the siege ramp, and uh, you can just see all the different depressions and things like that in the ground uh, from where he was at. In fact... The the gray area up there is actually where that barn is at, and that's where Sennacherib was sitting there watching the entire thing, Uh, watching them build the siege ramp, watching them uh, you know, tear everybody out of there and then bring them before him. Another picture of the siege ramp there. So there's Sennacherib's location during the siege. That's where he was situated. And, of course, this little thing here, what you're looking at, is the gate that's going all the way up to the top. Uh, They found all kinds of stuff. Sling stones, 850 arrowheads, lance heads, all kinds of other things proving that there was a very serious battle that took place there. Those, those are some of the stones that they would, that they would oh, in fact, the next one is, uh, there's the size of a man's fist compared to those stones. So they're big. I mean, if you got hit with one of those things, you're not, you're not going to live if you got hit in the head, especially. Um, but again, arrowheads, those are all on, on display at the British Museum. Um, and there's, uh, so that's the gate that was fully excavated, 13 feet tall, uh, 80 feet wide, and 80 feet deep, the largest known gate of the first temple period. So this is, first temple period goes all the way back to the 700s BC, um, and that's what we're talking there, but um, six-chambered gate, and, and actually, you see the picture of that from the top? Um uh, you, can, you can very clearly see three of the chambers, and the other three chambers would be on the other side. Okay, now the ones that are on the, uh, if you're looking at it, the ones that are on the right side are original. The ones that are on the left side are um, rebuilt, so you could actually see what it looked like, and, and obviously you can kind of tell that from there. But they would do all kinds of things in there. It would, they, would, uh, they would use it for storage. They would, uh, more than likely, the first, first two would be uh, soldiers would be stationed in there. So if anybody's trying to come through the gate, they would be able to uh, stop them there. They would have used it for um, business, city business, you know, um, any any number of things that would have happened there. There's a picture of it uh, from the ground there. And as you're walking up, you can see the chambers. All right, I'm going to show you some pictures pretty quickly of of those chambers. But you can see you see how the chambers are there. All right, and then, and then where that fence is, you're actually, this, this is kind of the main gate area. And then when you walk in there, you actually get into the six chambers, the six chambered areas. Uh, right here. So this is, the, everything on the left is pretty much uh, original. Everything on the right is pretty much rebuilt uh, with materials that they found there. But you see, they're not huge rooms, um, but they're pretty big. I mean, you think about 80 feet. I mean, this auditorium, front to back, is like 50 three feet or something like that. So if you have a gate that's 80 feet deep, there's quite a bit of room in it, right? There's, that's what, more of what it would, look, would have looked like inside there. That's looking at it once you're through the gate, looking back at it. There's some of the different little chambers in there. That's, that's a lot of the, original, uh, the stuff on the original side. All right, there you go. Some, some more of the actual chambers and how they would have looked back then. All right, that is the ruins of the palace that we looked at. And I uh, told you to kind of keep that in your mind. That's what's left of it. There is, that's Lachish from the top. So I am up, up, standing right there. I was, not, I was not even all the way over where the siege ramp was, uh, not quite as far over as that. But you can see how actually open that would have been and how many, how many things they would have been able to fit there. You see the path that's going there, and it's, and, and it's very hard to tell probably from where you are, but those are people on there. So that'll give you kind of a, a, a bigger, uh, a better picture of it and uh, of how, actu- how big it actually is. This is somebody walking right here, okay? Somebody walking in that corner. Um, I guess that's the only two. But this, this here would have been where the palace was. All of this would have been uh, houses for the most part and um, places of business, things like that. <clears throat> I'll, I'll sh- go through these kind of quickly and give you some more of these pictures, so this is looking, and, and, and talking about a strategic location, okay? That's the Judean Highlands there in the background that you're looking at. Um, but you can see for miles and miles and miles from the top of that, that tell. And again, for, very, for obvious reasons, um, they wanted to be able to see anything that was coming. These are some of the ruins of the, uh, the houses that would have been in, in there. Um, and they've, they've done a lot of excavations through there. Uh, that's kind of looking from the back, looking back up at the top where the palace was. Uh, again, for a couple reasons, the palace was built higher. Number one, it gave it a little bit more of a strategic position. They would have had to take the lower spots first if they were trying to conquer it before they got to the palace. But also, remember, they didn't have air condition um, or anything like that. And so uh, the higher you were, the more likely you were to be exposed to some more um, airflow and uh, would have made it cooler during the summer for the, for the king. Um, there's the palace. But a lot of kings actually had winter palaces and summer palaces, and they would, you know, depending on what season it was, they would go there because it was a lot more comfortable and they could do whatever they wanted, so they did it. Um, that's actually what the palace would have looked like. Uh, I, I took a picture of it. it. didn't turn out really great, so I didn't put it in here. Um, but you see that little hole on the top? It actually had an overlay of, of the, the existing structure that's still there with the palace on top of it. Not a great picture, but that's what the palace would have looked like uh, there in the middle of Lachish. That's looking down uh, from Lachish, and so you can see, again, how, just, how vast that area is. The Judean highlands, again, are in the background, but just gives you a picture of how strategic that position really was and how much they could see as, as things were coming. Now, this was one of those chambers. The benches uh, where the judges and the city elders sat are st- still there. You can still see them. That's what extant means. But those are the benches at Beersheba, uh, at the Beersheba Gate, but the ones at Lachish were very, very similar to that, and uh, actually had arm, arm rests on those. There's some of the uh, excavations that were going on there at Lachish, and everything that they found there uh, backs everything up that the Bible says from the idolatry, and they found all kinds of little figurines of Baal and all kinds of stuff, all, all kinds of things that they found there that, that proves exactly what the Bible says, that that this was a kind of a seat of idolatry and God was going to destroy it. And obviously you see that's exactly what happened. So Micah identified Lachish as the place where the transgressions were found. Um, and, of course, uh, northern Israel's idolatry, and they found all of that stuff. Uh, but obviously then Josiah, he removed the high places, broke the pillars, cut down uh, the Asherah, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made for under those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan, all right, this is pretty interesting, too. They found a toilet in the Baal chamber. Um, uh, but but um, we read in 2 Kings 10 and 27 how that Jehu made the Baal temple in Samaria into a toilet. Uh, and I think that's pretty interesting. That's, you know, a, a, a likeness of what it would have been. But let me, let me, uh, let me have you turn to one last passage here in, in 2 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> one last passage about... Uh, Um, Brother Josh, while we're doing this, can you go to the, the next one? Uh, 2 Kings 19, verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. Who is the king of Assyria? Sennacherib. Sennacherib. He shall not come into this city. What city? No. Jerusalem. He conquered Lachish. He's talking about Jerusalem there. He's not going to come into Jerusalem. God is, God's talking to Hezekiah here. I should have given you a little background. But he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. What's a bank against it? Yeah, a siege ramp, right? I mean, God's talking about exactly what had just happened in Lachish, right? And God's saying, that's not going to happen to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, where Hezekiah was at, was actually experiencing somewhat of a revival. Lachish didn't. And so God destroyed them. But he told Hezekiah, it's not going to happen here. By the way that he came... By the same shall he return. Well, Sennacherib was a powerful, powerful king. And he had a huge army with him. And they were just rolling over these places. What's to keep him from coming into Jerusalem? Nothing but God, right? But God said the same way that he came in is the same way that he's going to go out. Um, And shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians and hundred score and 5,000, that's 185,000 men. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. He came back, went back the same way that he came in. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrakh, his god, that Adramelech and Sherizer, his sons, smote him with the sword and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Esarhad and his son reigned in his stead. So God said, okay, Sennacherib, you can go ahead and take Lachish. They're, they've sinned against me. They've turned against me. You're not coming into Jerusalem. And that night as they camped, God killed 185,000 Assyrians. He woke up the next morning and it's just nothing but a sea of dead bodies. And he cut his losses and went back to Nineveh. And when he was worshiping in the, in the house of his God, his sons, his own sons, came in and killed him. If that's not God's hand on his chosen nation, and on his city, Jerusalem, I don't know what is. All right, turn over to 1 Samuel 17. This is a very familiar story to you. Oh, let me show you this while you're turning over. Beth groovin National Park is actually, and this is just very, very short. We stopped here on the way through. This is actually an amphitheater. Now, there's a difference between a theater and an amphitheater. Okay, you've probably... You've heard of a theater, and a lot of times they, somebody will come in and say, oh, look at the amphitheater. It's not an amphitheater, it's a theater. A theater was something where they would perform plays and readings and things like that on a stage. An amphitheater is one where it had seating all the way around it, all right? And that's what this was, okay? Uh, the amphitheater is a structure that typifies Roman culture. It was used for gladiator combat, public displays, military training. had enough seats for 3,500 people. And that's all in ruins. I mean, uh, a lot of the seating has been redone. It's just wooden. Uh, Back then, it would more than likely have been stone, and all of them were. Um, But uh, it was built on a foundation of a series of barrel vaults, which you see those all the way through. And if you kept going around, you'd see them all the way around there. Um, But the, the arches were used as service tunnels for the arena, and I'll show you one of those in a second. But the amphitheater was in use. For over 200 years, until it was damaged by an earthquake in AD 363, that's how old this thing is. Um, But uh, there's the underneath of the amphitheater. That's where the the animals were kept. So when they and and again, lots and lots and lots and lots of blood spilled in that in that arena right there. Uh, Christians that were killed. um, Christians that were made to fight each other. Christians that were made to fight gladiators. Christians that were made to fight wild animals. That's where the wild animals would have been kept uh, before they were released. So. This is actually, this is the entrance. What you're seeing right here is the entrance into, that, um, into the amphitheater. And so this would have been here. If you went out that side, you would actually see the same arena that we just looked at. There's some different, uh, that was, that was a, like a little trough that went all the way around it. as a little bit of a way of protection. That's looking at it from the outside. A um, couple of different pictures there. So it was, a, it was a real quick stop, but it was a pretty interesting stop. And we actually have some... Uh, some more good pictures of an amphitheater here uh, later on. But the Valley of Elah, and I'm going to try to cover this fairly quickly, um, but I, I, I want you to be able to see some of these pictures. So um, really, the, the Elah Valley, the Valley of Elah, it's, it's, it's called both. Uh, but obviously, what happened there? Does anybody remember? Riley. David fought, David fought Goliath. Right, and it's all still there. The battle between David and Goliath. Fourteen miles west of Bethlehem where David came from that morning. What was he doing in Bethlehem? Tending sheep, right? That's what he did. He was just a young man. Now, he wasn't a kid, um, but Bethlehem is right here. Okay, here's the Dead Sea. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here is Lachish. Here's Bethlehem. And it's not marked on this map where Elah is at, but 14 miles west of Bethlehem. Okay, so somewhere right in this area is where uh, where the Valley of Elah is and where David fought Goliath. Um, and, and you can kind of see it right there. There's, there's Ashkelon, there's Ashdod, there's Ekron, there's Gath. Uh, those were all, those five, G- Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath were the five major Philistine cities. And, of course, this is right in the middle of it. So the, 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 um, the Egyptian, I mean, the uh, Philistines and the Israelites were constantly um, at war with each other for a period of time there. But they wanted to push east and conquer uh, Israel's territory, and that battle was a major event in the war. Well, obviously, they were at a standoff. You know the story, right? But let's, let's uh, look at verse number 1, 1 Samuel 17, 1. Now, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Soko, which is how you say that, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Soko and Azekah in Damim. all right? Now, I'm going to give you some pictures of this, okay? That's where, where it's labeled there is where the Philistines were encamped. That was Soco, and then what you see down there in the middle, that wide open field, is the Valley of Elah, and then this hill, which didn't really have a name, is where Israel was camped. Um, well, actually, does it say that? Yeah, they, they, um, it, it only says where the Philistines were at, but they, because they had a huge, huge line and a huge position. Um, so there's the Elah Valley, Israel, of course. Then uh, verse number 2 uh, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. I've got some other pictures of this that I think is gonna help you see it a little bit better um, in just a second, but verse number three, and the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. Well, when the Bible says they stood on a mountain, they were actually standing on a mountain. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not Mount Everest, but it's, it's high. It's, it's really high. And uh, you'll see a picture of that in a second. There's, uh, so this is, um, Israel was on the left, Philistines were on the right, this is looking east toward Bethlehem, okay, um, and here's some, some, some better pictures of it there. See how big that actually is, the field and all of that stuff there. So the, the Philistines were up on this hill in Soko. there's the Valley of Elah, and then you had Israel that were up here. And you think, you know, how did, how did Goliath hear, I mean, how did the Israelites hear Goliath shouting? Well, number one, there was no traffic noise right? I mean, when you're standing there in the Valley of Elah, there's a, there's a road running right behind you, and you hear a lot of traffic and everything else. None of that would have been there. Of course, the Israelites were pretty scared, and it's pretty obvious by the story that they were pretty scared of Goliath, right? Um, we didn't actually do it, but I, I watched a video <clears throat> of a, um, somebody that was, that was there, and his wife was standing up where the Israelites would have been, and he ran all the way down into the valley, about, uh, about a third of the way, and he said, Send me a man. His wife said, I can hear you like you're standing right next to me. He said, well, I'm going to go a little farther. And he went about two-thirds of the way, and same thing. He went all the way to the other side, and he hollered, send me a man to fight. And she was like, I can hear you. And you can hear him and her talking to each other. I mean, they're, they're, they're yelling, but not that loud. So you got a man like Goliath who was as big as he was with probably a booming voice. And, and you know, they, they would have understood that Goliath was no small guy, and uh, nobody would have wanted to fight him. So... Uh, there's some more pictures of it, maybe a little bit better picture of the, uh, the mountain that the Israelites were on. There you go. That's a lot better picture of it. That's our group. Somebody in our group brought a drone. And uh, we're not allowed to fly it at every place. You're not allowed to fly it in the, any of the national parks or anything like that. But it actually gave us some pretty good perspectives. So I'm going to show you the, the, the Elah Brook here in just a minute. But I wanted to point it out with arrows on here so you can see. This is actually a road that kind of keeps going there. So the Elah Brook starts here. And goes around kind of back toward the mountain um, where the Israelites would have been at. But that's the, that is the brook that David would have taken the, the stones out of. Obviously, it's dry. Most of the year, it's dry. Um, only, for, only during the really heaviest rainy season is there any water in that brook. Um, but there it is. That's the brook. I mean, it, 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 I mean, look at it. there's not much to it, right? And I, I, I brought back a bunch of stones. From the, from the brook and I've got them here, so I'll give one to every family when we get finished tonight, you can pick one and take it home with you um, and, and leave it set somewhere if you want to. There's the brook. And uh, the road actually keeps going. The brook turns and goes back toward the mountain there. <clears throat> Again, there it is. That's where it turns and goes back. very, very small. I mean, you, you think uh, I don't know what in my mind, I don't know what I thought before, because now this is all I see when I think about it,. But, I think as a kid, especially, I thought it was this massive brook that he had to wade through to get to the other side to go fight Goliath. And he picked up some stones on his way past. Well, no wonder he picked stones out of the brook. There was no water in it, you know. And it was very easy for him to just pick a few stones and keep going. So uh, that's, that's where it was at. Now, the Philistines. So the hill that we were just looking at is the one right there where it shows you that Israel was, was at. And then you have Soco and the Valley of Elah. And then, but the Philistine's camp, uh, the Philistine line went from Sokol all the way around to Azekah. For, for David to be able to go and fight Goliath and have a winner-take-all battle was a huge advantage for the Israelites. They were surrounded almost. and the Phil- I mean, you could just imagine everywhere you looked, there was Philistines camped. And Israel was on that little spot right there. And they didn't have a lot of people. And I'm surprised the Philistines didn't just, you know, attack and, you know, take them over. But for, obviously, God knew what he was doing. But Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and pitched between, pitched between Soko and Azekah, which is way away. And I'm going to show you a video here um, um, in a second. All right, this is it. Okay, so uh, this is the Valley of Elah. That's what we're looking at right here. That's what we're standing in. Over here is Soko, where the, where the Philistines were at, and it doesn't, it doesn't give you, a, I don't know why it gets so choppy. It works fine on my computer, and then we put it on that one back there, and it gets choppy, but look how wide that is, and it's, it's just a bad, but look, look how much land the Philistines had where all their people were. Azekah is the tallest spot right there. See that little, that little spot in between the trees? That's, that's Azekah where the Philistines were at. They had all of that land all the way around. Now, what you're going to see here is the, is the uh, mountain that the, that the Israelites, and where he's walking right there is actually in the brook. But that's, that's, that's the spot that the Israelites had. The Philistines had everything else all the way around there. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Uh, so they gathered a hill on the northeast side. That's the Valley of Elah in the middle. That's the Philistines' northernmost flank. That's Azekah, zoomed in. As we were leaving, we were able to get some good pictures of it just because it was so far away. It really was amazing. So, uh, in fact, let's, let's look back in 1 Samuel 17, verse number 4. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, which we talked about, and we were there, remember? Or we, we saw it, whose height was six cubits and a span. How tall is that? Nine foot nine inches, pretty much. All right, and uh, he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. Uh, oh, I guess we don't have the actual. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Made of brass plates arranged like the scales of a fish that weighed about one hundred and twenty-five pounds. How much do you weigh, Jackson? About that, right? Well, oh, Brian's one twenty-five. So imagine walking around with Brian on your back. No, you'd be dead. You're not 125, but I think Jackson's, I think roughly 125, no? Oh, less than that, okay. So, so, so carrying around this coat of mail that's, that's even heavier than uh, probably Alex and Riley combined, right? I mean, that's, that's heavy. It's that's a big guy. I, mean, I can't imagine how big Goliath must have been. But verse number six, and, the, and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, 15 pounds, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried into the armies of Israel and said to them, why are you come out and set your battle in array? Am, I not a Philistine? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So, there's Goliath. Defied, defied the armies of Israel. And he cursed them in the name of his false gods. In fact, yeah, look, at, look at verse number 43. Uh, Oop, I'm, I'm in the wrong passage. Let me get there. 1 Samuel 17, verse number 43. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So, Cursing, cursing uh, and of course, uh, David understood that uh, it, was, it was God's honor that was at stake. It was more than just that. But uh, verse 17 and 18, we're, well, we're there. We can go back and look at, that, look at that passage if you want to look at it there, or you can look at it up on, on the screen. Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their, house, uh, of their thousands, all thy brethren fare and take their pledge. See how they're doing. Come back and let me know. Uh, David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. So David understood, again, that the issue was God's testimony and he volunteered to fight. David wasn't trusting in a sling, he was trusting in a living God. And you read through some of those other passages and again, it's all there in 1 Samuel 17. might be helpful for you to read it again, but all of that's there. Uh, And basically, David said that exact thing. I'm not coming at you with with all these things. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Lord our God. But this is good. Verse 45 and verse 46. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. Can you imagine Goliath hearing that? Some, you know, David's not a little kid, by the way. Uh, a lot of people, you know, little shepherd boy, he was 10, 12 years old, and he's out there, you know, I'm going to take your head from you. You know, he's, that's not, I mean, David was, you know, he was, he was getting toward a grown man at that point, but everybody could still tell that he was a young man, right? And to hear, I mean, this is their champion, and he's saying to him, I'm going to take your head off. And, and then he continues, and I'll give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's a strong statement and that is some serious faith because if Goliath had gotten a hold of David, he could have snapped him in half if he wanted to. But again, David wasn't this little boy that's, that's depicted in a lot of the children's stories. He was a brave, strong young man. He had fought a lion, he had fought a bear. I mean, he's not a 10-year-old kid out there watching sheep killing bears, right? Uh, so he's, he's, he's probably around 18, 20 years old. Um, he said that I went out after him, smote him, delivered him out of the mouth, caught him by the beard, smote him and slew him. That's actually an Asian lion. And we didn't get a chance to go to the Israel zoo. Um, but the, the, um, the Jerusalem zoo, the Jerusalem biblical zoo has, has as many of them as are still alive. Cause there's some of them that are extinct, uh, um, animals that are in the Bible. And there's the, there's the lion. And now there's a bear. The Syrian brown bear is actually uh, extinct in Israel now. Um, but but um, that's the type that David fought. And um, it's not as big as a North American grizzly, but it's 550 pounds. David took that thing on by himself. Can you imagine that? And uh, that's a Syrian brown bear. You can see the hump on the back. That's a mark of a grizzly. I mean, that's a big animal. It's a big animal. And David... David killed the, killed the bear. This is actually pretty interesting. Um, the Byzantine mosaics, um, because a lot of the crusaders actually, okay, so here a crusader knight is fighting a grizzly. They, they're actually the ones that made them extinct. Um, it was a way to prove your manhood and prove your honor and your bravery to go out and kill a lion or a bear with a sword. And so they, they killed so many of them that there's none left. And, uh, but they, they depicted that in a mosaic there. And that, that mosaic is actually in the, uh, the Israel Museum. I'll show you some pictures of that a little bit later. But this is interesting as well. Um, you know, a lot of people are telling the story, you know, put Saul's armor on and David was walking around like this and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't handle it because he was this little kid and the armor was too big and he told Saul, I can't wear that. It was not that the armor was too big. He hadn't proved it. And that's exactly what the Bible says there in 1 Samuel 17. In fact, if you want to look there in verse 38, right? Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, also, he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he is said to go. It fit him. He was ready to go with that armor, uh, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. David put them off him. He said, I've, I've never really fought in this stuff, right? I, I, I don't feel comfortable in it, and I don't feel like I can move around the way that I need to. It's not that, he, that they didn't fit him. Or that he was this tiny little kid in Saul's big armor, you know, looked like a, a kid in his dad's boots or something like that. He just, he just, he didn't prove it. So he, he, he didn't wear it. That's, that's the only reason why. Before David killed uh, Goliath, he played his heart for Saul. He was described as a man of war and a mighty valiant man. There you go. He was probably 18 to 20 years old. Uh, not, you know, I mean, again, not, you know, not some 40-year-old hardened battle warrior or something like that. But he was not a little kid uh, like, like he's often depicted. Now, this is, this is the last thing here, um, and, and I wanted to get to Shariim, uh, because that's where, that's where the, uh, the Philistine army fled. There's a lot of pictures there that I wanted to show you, and we're not going to have time to do that tonight. So, but the carob tree, and that's right there in the Valley of Elah. Um, that's as you're, um, So you can't really tell, but l- uh, where I was standing probably in that picture was in the brook. So you walk down, and you can kind of see how it's starting to come back up. That's coming back up the other side. Um, but that there is um, a carob tree there in the valley, and uh, a little bit closer picture of it, but the, the seeds of the carob were actually used as a unit for weight and measure. Uh, so uh, um, an ephah. Uh, how, do you, how do you figure out how big an ephah is? Well, it was measured and weighed uh, based on the size of the carob seeds, and so uh, that's a carob tree there, and um, I, think, I think maybe I'll have another picture of one a little bit later on. I don't think I actually got a picture of a carob seed. Nothing was growing at the time. Uh, you know, it was, it was green, obviously. Um, but you'll see, uh, if, if you go in and look at some pictures of Israel, I think that's the last one Let me make sure. Oh, Sh- Shorayim, so um, we'll, we'll do that one later. There's, there's a lot there that I, that I want to show you. I think it's very interesting, and, and we're out of time. But um, where was I going with that right before that? Does anybody remember what I said? Go back and listen to it real quick. Um, wow! Well, thanks everybody for listening. No, I'm kidding. The what? Shereim, which that's what that just popped up, and that's what distracted me. The trees. Oh, that's what. Okay, thank you. Everybody was listening. Good. Um, if you go back to any pictures, let's say, and, and you look up a place. You, know, you're like, you might look up the Valley of Elah on Google, and it shows up, and everything is brown. And some of the places that we went, um, I didn't even recognize when I went to look it up, because I was trying to, I wanted to make sure that I had my location correct, and so I went to look it up, and I, and I typed it in there. I was like, it doesn't even look like the same place. Everything's brown. Well, a couple of weeks before we went, they had a bunch of rain, and just that quick, everything turned green. I mean few days before we came and so I mean you see how well you can't see it anymore but how uh, how beautiful that valley and how green that valley was and and how all the trees had their leaves on and everything else I mean and they basically say that for for most of the time through the winter it doesn't get that cold but everything's brown and dead and the rains hit and everything turns green overnight and uh, so we we hit it a beautiful beautiful time Um, it rained on our way from the airport to our hotel on the first night and then for two solid weeks there was no rain in the rainy season in Israel Uh, it's a pretty amazing thing Uh, brother cloud said he said uh, I've been to Israel 10 times and every time I pray that we'd have great weather and not have to not be able to go see a place because of how because of the rain and he said in 10 trips here always right around the same time it's never rained once and that's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, the guide, uh, our guide was like, I can't believe it hasn't rained. I mean, it will always get rain during this time of year, at least, at least a day where you know, he's like, I can't believe it, you know. But God gave us that great weather and uh, just, I mean, could not ask for better uh, skies for the pictures and everything else. I mean, it just turned out beautifully. So uh, anyway, I, I hope, that's, uh, hope that gives you a little bit better picture of what you, you know, I mean, how many times have you read the story of David and Goliath? And probably pictured in your mind what the valley looked like and everything else. That's it. That's what it looked like. And uh, pretty amazing. So um, if you want to go back and look at some of those pictures again, which I guess you can go back and watch the live stream or watch the, uh, watch the message again if you wanted to. But I posted a lot of these pictures on my Facebook. So as soon as I'm out of Facebook jail or whatever they call it, as soon as I get my account back, then I uh, should be. I think you could still go on there and see it now. But um, you, can, you can go back and maybe look at some of those pictures a little, close, a little more closely and zoom in on them if you wanted to and whatever else. But uh, hope that's a help. Let's pray, and we'll be done. Father, we love you, Again, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for uh, the way the Bible and archaeology go hand in hand and how we can trust the Word of God. Thank you so much for a reliable truth that we can stand on, and I pray that you help us to always trust it, and I pray that you help us as we go through these things that, that uh, Uh, it would open up the Bible to us and help us to see it in a different light and see it in a different way maybe than we've seen it before and uh, help us to study the Bible. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name, amen.